Welcome to episode 152 of the GSD Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Jules and Statoya. Running a successful business never comes without its challenges, but it also includes a lot of highs. In this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast, we explore both. We dive into what it looks like when the entrepreneurs are committed to getting done. These are people who are pursuing their dreams, so we dig deep to understand how they are doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Our guest today is the one and only Elaine Sack, COO of RMS Beauty. Hailing from South Bend, Indiana, she went to college and got her degree in journalism. She worked on a political campaign, and once that ended, she recruited a friend, packed up her things, and moved to Charleston, not having a job or knowing anyone. She worked at an art gallery for two years, then went on to work for a beauty care manufacturer. When prominent celebrity makeup artist Rosemarie Swift called wanting to develop an innovatively clean beauty product, Elaine took that serendipitous call that eventually changed the course of her career. Once that product was developed, Elaine was Rosemarie's first hire, and together they began to build RMS Beauty. Fast forward 10 plus years, and RMS is a thriving company that's leading the charge in the natural and clean beauty industry. It was a delight to talk with Elaine. We hope you enjoy this episode. GSD Entrepreneur listeners, thank you for tuning in on us once again this week. We're really, really excited about this episode. Like we are every episode because we only bring you people that we respect who they're doing. So we've already vetted the guests. So the people that we get on the show are people that we want to get to know better or we've been watching for a long time Mm -hmm. or we know really well and we want to we want their story to be told to a broader audience and so today is no different yeah Um, so we have been watching this person from afar but we luckily got an introduction from jackie over at leapfrog yeah jackie Um, thompson huge shout out to jackie jackie and libba with leapfrog are two people that we very much respect in charleston they're doing good things so yeah, so Jackie gave us an introduction, and we're excited. So I'm Jules, your host, and Satoya is here with me as my co-host, and we will lead you through this discussion that we're going to have, this conversation, with the one and only Elaine Sack. Hello. Elaine Sack is with RMS Beauty, and if you are in the makeup cosmetics world, you have no doubt heard about RMS Beauty. And so we're gonna get to know Elaine, and we're also gonna get to know RMS Beauty and how it came to be and all of all of that. So thank you for being on the show. Yes. Thanks Elaine. for having me. I've been yeah. looking forward to this. This is great. We've been mm-hmm. looking forward to it as well. As when Jackie said, hey, would you wanna get Elaine on? We're like, like yes. <laughs> yes, that's a hell yes, so absolutely. Make the so. introduction. Yeah. And you're right, Jackie is awesome. Yeah. She's, yeah. She is our local PR firm here in Charleston, mm-hmm. just to interrupt and tell you how yeah. I know her. and. When we first started out, we had a big firm in New York, and we were really experiencing some growing pains, and I really realized we need to shout from the rooftops that we are also based in Charleston, Mm -hmm. so it made sense to have a great local firm, and they've really helped us navigate how many wonderful influencers there are, podcasts, Mm -hmm. platforms, and... So mm. I think it's been really wonderful to, to have that local help here. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag Jackie Fan Club. Yeah. Jackie Fan Club. <laughs> Who has awesome. still not been on our podcast. We no, can't... no, no. But she has committed Bye. to being yeah. on it after mm-hmm. they get back from the break, yeah. spring break. So, okay. So, Elaine, let's do this. It's what we do in every show. We just ask you to take us back. So take sure. us back as far as you can go. Where'd you grow up? And kind of all of that stuff. And then yeah. basically... Walk us down the path of what led you to where you are right now. Awesome. So I'm originally from South Bend, Indiana, which has been very much in the news lately Mm -hmm. because of the big presidential election. Mm -hmm. I was... Are you a Notre Dame fan? I am a Notre Dame fan, but I didn't go to Notre Dame. Uh Notre Dame, you could hear the um, football games from our backyard Mm because we lived less than a mile away. So Mm. we were very inundated with the Notre Dame lifestyle and upbringing. Um, My dad got his PhD from Notre Dame. Um, A lot of our friends growing up, their parents were professors at Notre Dame. Um, my wedding photographer is the um, in charge of the photography department at Notre Dame. I mean, it always comes yeah. back to the Fighting Irish. Um, 
but I actually went to Indiana University. My dad was a um, dean of the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Hmm. Um, my mom was a teacher in high school, taught high school English, but she also taught part-time at the satellite branch mm -hmm. in um, IU South Bend. So there was no doubt that I was going to end up going to IU. You basically go for free. You get kind of a coupon. Yeah. <laughs> so. Your ticket was punched for My you. My ticket yeah. was punched. Um, but one of the things that was really interesting is I graduated high school early. Um, I had friends that were a lot older than me. I just really was eager to get out into the world. I really also wanted to work more. I loved having a job in high school, and high school kind of got in the way. And so I graduated a semester early. So what was your, what was your first job? Oh my gosh, this is... It goes really, if you really want me to go yeah. far back. When I was younger, I used to, this was before the Babysitter's Club's book. I always tell people, like, I feel like I, like, invented that. I would go from door to door with little flyers. And I was, like, eight or nine years old telling people, hey, I can babysit your kids in this neighborhood. And then in between that, I would also sell to the moms scrunchies. I would make homemade scrunchies because <laughs> I had a built-in customer base. Yes, and I would make them. They were like one for three, two for five, or three for five. You know, I did like the whole thing, mm -hmm. like even back in the day. And who can say no to a cute little eight-year-old yeah. trying well, you're to sell paying you like $4 scrunchie. an hour to babysit your kids. Yes. So, I mean, I always was that way. I had a paper route. Um, I mean, I just always was trying to, to I loved earning money, you're I think, even hustling. at a young age. Yeah, exactly. Um, when most kids were playing, like, you know, whatever games growing up, I was like, let's play store. And I'd have a store in my basement <laughs> where I would make my friends come and, like, shop for You're me. like, no, you need to bring real money. Bring not real money. <laughs> I would sell my Halloween candy because I, like, didn't really love candy growing up. So I was like, I'm going to sell it. And I used to take it in a wagon and, like, go to my friends' houses that I know would buy it. Like, I was always that way. That is amazing. So when I graduated high school early, it was great. So I could start. I worked in... Um, a restaurant, I think it was like a hostess, and I did more babysitting, and I met a pharmacist who had a really on and off schedule, and so I'd even like spend the night at her house and like babysit her kids. So I was really eager to get out of high school so I could start making money. Mm -hmm. And then I went to IU, and I was a journalism major. Um, my parents gave me really great advice, which was, I didn't know at the time in high school what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. I didn't think I was going to become like a business major or a teacher. I just didn't have that specific direction. So my dad being in academic life said, get a degree where you can really take that as a foundation and do anything. And journalism made mm -hmm. the most sense. Um, so I graduated from the Ernie Pyle School of Journalism at IU. But I wasn't there that often. I loved college, but I really I just didn't want to be so static there, mm -hmm. so I spent my first summer after college, I went to NYU and took some courses there and got a, more um, credits so that I could wow. keep advancing and get through college quicker. Um, I studied abroad, and it was a really awesome opportunity. I went to London. Um, I took a semester off and did an internship in San Francisco, mm -hmm. which is really funny now looking back because I go to San Francisco almost once a month, every two months for Sephora. So it's like that internship really yeah. prepared me in mm -hmm. a weird way to Made it under really familiar. And it brought yeah. it back full circle, right. which was really funny. Mm -hmm. um, and there's more on how that also sparked my beauty career as well in a really obscure way. Um, but after I graduated college, I, again, graduated early, and um, my first thing I did is I was ready to go home and just have some, some downtime. I had been working like crazy, moving around like crazy, finally had gotten that degree, and I just kind of missed home a little bit and wanted to go back to South Bend and figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, this was also right after 9-11, so before, people were really heavily recruiting, and most people left mm. school from IU knowing what their next mm -hmm. job was going to be, and that had all come to just like a grinding halt. Um, so I didn't have the luxury of being like heavily recruited. Nobody was at the time. Mm. So I went back to South Bend, and my dad was really good friends with a woman who was running for Congress. And I wanted to just go back and waitress, make some money, hang out with my friends that went to Notre Dame. Um, go out and have a good time, but during the day I didn't have anything to do and so my dad said well Why don't you volunteer and just help them out? So the volunteering turned into a job full-time and I would say my first real career focused job was working for this campaign hmm. and it was the best first job I think anybody could ever have because you're really taught to be dedicated to an end goal which mm -hmm. we obviously had was 
the goal is to win. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert, we didn't. <laughs> but you also are taught that work doesn't really stop. Like it's a nine to five for if you're in a certain path, but this was a constant. It mm-hmm. was seven days a week. It was early mornings. It was long nights. You never complain. You have no reason not to be happy to get in a car and go to LaPorte County for a parade at, you know, 8 a.m. on a Sunday. Like you just did it. Mm-hmm. And it was a really awesome opportunity because it taught me a foundation of you always show up with a smile on your face. So this was volunteer or was it a paying job? It started volunteer and then I think I was just putting my nose into a lot of things and they were like, if you really want to like work here full time, you can. I was like, okay, great. So then I was the campaign scheduler. Mm-hmm. So I organized every single um, rotary appearance, every talk show appearance, um, how many hours a day she was going to call fundraising. So I really got to organize her schedule mm-hmm. and it was great for communications because you had to pick up the phone a lot and call business leaders or um, mm-hmm. mayors of different uh, counties and say, hi, I'm Elaine. Hojanaki at the time, I'm Elaine Hojanaki, can I get Jill into your office for an hour and this is when I want to do it and this is how often I want, how long I want her there. Mm-hmm. So it, it was also great for sales because you, you learned quickly to go for the ask. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but were people saying no? So what's funny in South Bend is my dad was very involved in the political um, uh, party there and so being that my last name was synonymous with my dad, I got a lot of yeses mm-hmm. and so it was kind of easier for me than it would have <laughs> and been And there's otherwise. no guess. It's like if your last name is Williams, it could be like, well, that could yeah, be Yeah, Hojanaki was a very Hoginac, specific, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I did have a little bit of a, of a easy way in, but it was an awesome experience and you meet people from all over. I mean, one of my first phone calls when I was trained was from Jim Axelrod, who's on CNN now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just was such hmm. a crazy thing when I look back on it. Um, so after the campaign, we did lose. It was just a devastating thing to experience because you wanted so bad for it to, to mm-hmm. go the other way. But I would have probably gone with her to D.C. had she won. That was mm-hmm. the, the track um, and the offer. But she didn't, and it was November like 2nd or 3rd, and my parents looked at me and were like, oh, she's exhausted. Let's throw her in the car and go on a vacation. And so I'm sitting in the backseat of my parents' car. I'm like 21 years old, like feeling like a kid or something. And, and this was... I mean, we're talking 17, 18 years ago, and I had a Rand McNally open, and we were driving to Tennessee to visit my brother in Knoxville, and I remember looking at this thinking, I've been to Charleston. That look, It's on the coast. I know it's a, a town that has a lot of art galleries, which was my minor in college. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, this looks like there's something that was drawing me to it, so I said to my parents, can we just extend the trip a little further and go down to Charleston for a couple days? And my parents were like, not and we came to Charleston I had never been here before I didn't know anyone who lived here and that was the first week of November we went home Thanksgiving of course is on a Thursday and that Friday after Thanksgiving I packed my car and drove down here no way didn't have a job I one of my friends from Notre Dame she had just graduated and worked on the campaign with me we we did this together Um, we didn't know anybody here we didn't have jobs I didn't know the difference between you know Monk's Corner or North Charleston, West Ashton. I didn't know anything. And there's so a big difference between there all is. those different. Yeah. And we found like a apartment on the internet. I didn't know anything about it. And we just moved in and we're like, let's go for Where it. Where was it? It was in James Island. Uh-huh. And yeah, here I am 18 years later. Wow. So. That is a crazy story. So, so when, you, when you were down here with your parents, did you know at that point that this is where this was where you're calling? Like this was home calling you? I just had a why not attitude about it and being that my background was um my 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 minor in college was art history and there was just galleries galore I figured Mm -hmm. I could really get my foot in somewhere um and I had this need to to get into a sales role and so I figured a really great way to start um getting into sales and really polishing up my sales skills would be to work in a gallery where you're selling something extremely subjective um you're selling to a lot of tourists Mm -hmm. you have to catch them at that time and um, my first job was in an art gallery. I worked there for over two years, and it was a great first job here in Charleston. I definitely um, sort of got to cut my tie with like lots of big sales right away, mm-hmm. and I learned also that there's there's no limit to to um, sales, but there's definitely a challenge in the fact that you can't you can't make somebody like something. You've got to mm-hmm. really help them mm-hmm. fall in love with it. 
Um, and so that's one of the my early lessons in sales mm-hmm. was was through that experience. Um, so your friend, I, I have to go back to this, yes. just getting in the car, right? At the day after Thanksgiving, you just called your friend and said, come on. And she's like, yeah. Yeah. She was good. like, why not? Let's go for it. <laughs> and um, she ended up getting into the logistics world, which here in Charleston is very, you know, there's a lot of those opportunities. Right. And um, yeah, we just that is awesome. it. It was, it was a great, you know, young, in your early 20s experience. And um, Charleston then was just much less crowded and there weren't as many um, offices and corporate things that we have now and tech companies and firms and mm-hmm. it was just I got that last glimpse mm-hmm. of like really um, young Charleston mm-hmm. not the I think mature Charleston is today that's so popular yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so a theme that I'm hearing and I don't know if this is right but it seems like you 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 like to create big experiences do, do you feel like that like I mean, just with, I mean, you graduated high school early, you graduated college early, so it's almost like you like to go out of the norm and and build things or create things or do things like using your own strength and power. Anything that's common is not what I do. Like, mm-hmm. I, it, the norm to me just never really works or it's always been done before. Um, I think that when it came to graduating early or um, as a young person, like always like wanting to like have a job and get out there, the way I spend my time has to really be less what I'm supposed to do and more of like what I'm looking to do Mm -hmm. and what really inspires me or what I want to do. Being in school, like if any longer than I had to, just didn't make sense to me. Um, Just researching and finding a job first and then moving to a city, like that didn't make sense to me. I really, I, I knew like, once I saw Charleston for the first time, like, yeah, let's go for this. I mm-hmm. think I can really make this work. And once I set my mind to something, I just, I do it. Yeah. So, so you, your first job here was in the art world. And so where, where did your path go after that? How long did you, were you in the gallery world? I was in the gallery for about two years. Um, and there was an ad in a newspaper. I love this story because that's not the case ever anymore. Um, but in the classifieds, and there was somebody who was opening up a manufacturing facility in Somerville, and it was to manufacture. It said like beauty goods, and I was like, beauty goods. That's like sounds bizarre. I think it's funny that you were looking in the classifieds. This what is, were you I actually mean, looking for? This was before like <laughs> this was before even like Craigslist existed. Yeah. I was just looking for my next job. I wanted to do something. And so you were actually different. you were actually looking looking for... in the classifieds, and I was like beauty goods. So go back when I worked or when I had my internship in San Francisco I had moved out there at the same time as a friend of mine from IU whose aunts are Jean and Jane Ford that created Benefit Cosmetics which corporate offices in San Francisco and I was living in one of the Ford sisters homes for a couple weeks while I was waiting for my apartment to be ready and every day I'd watch her get up in the morning and go off to work at Benefit Cosmetics and I always use that story as it's such a weird um, insight into where my future ended up, but I didn't know at the time. Mm. And when I interviewed for the job for this manufacturing facility, I was like, oh, yeah, I know the people at Benefit. And so he heard that and probably thought, oh, great, I, that's going to be like a good, big customer for us. Um, long story short, they were in the middle of brokering their sale to LVMH and obviously they weren't like suited to this guy who had this really small manufacturing Mm -hmm. plant. Um, But he had a tech background and um, he learned really quickly how to really properly manipulate Google AdWords and SEO. Mm -hmm. And green and natural cosmetics, this is now like 13, 14 years ago, wasn't really a thing. Mm -hmm. But um, the manufacturing facility used to fill old Ahava products. And Ahava at the time was like kind of a natural beauty brand. Natural Mm -hmm. was the the term then. And Rosemary, who is the owner of RMS Beauty, Mm -hmm. um, was on set. And she picked up the phone. She saw, she Googled organic manufacturing facility or natural manufacturing companies. And we were the first to pop up. And I picked up the phone, and I'll never forget it. She was on set at Victoria's Secret, and she said, I have this really great idea. I'm going to make a green beauty line that uses all the really wonderful raw and organic ingredients that I use in my nutritional lifestyle, and it's going to be clean beauty. And prior to this, the only thing resembling that closely was mineral makeup, Mm -hmm. bare essentials, Mm -hmm. bare mineral, Mm -hmm. which um, really, if you peel it back it's not that natural and it's not super there's nothing 
<coughs> excuse me, organic about these pigments. But Rosemary wanted to take her organic lifestyle and merge it into her um, makeup artistry background. Hmm. So she called, you were working at the manufacturer at the time, with the manufacturer at the time, and she called you for the phone, and you were the, <coughs> sorry, you were the first person she spoke to about this. Exactly, and she had gone to a lot of other labs that sort of said, no, this will never work, clean beauty is a fad, green makeup is a fad, um, it's too difficult to do, the ingredients are so inconsistent, and she kept dialing and dialing, much like me, she's very persistent, and she kept dialing and dialing until she found someone that was mm. like, I can do this. And I agreed with her. There's absolutely nothing flattering, in my opinion, about mineral makeup. It looks great when you put it on, but as you go throughout the day, it settles into your pores and your fine lines. Mm -hmm. And a cream-based product is so brilliant. And at mm -hmm. the time, it hadn't been done before this way. And using natural and organic um, raw materials only made sense because it was about time that people started incorporating something you wear all day on your skin mm -hmm. um, to have a healthier... Um, ingredient base if you're going to be like wearing it all day long mm -hmm. and if you get hungry you can eat it and you that's always <laughs> that would be a plus but we don't multitask to that degree yeah <coughs> if you're on a deserted island you, you take that lip balm and eat it yes absolutely so were you always concerned about clean and green and sustainable and I mean, those sorts of things was that was that kind of a, a passion of yours or did it grow as you got involved with this manufacturer? It was a passion of Rosemary's and through her I've learned so much about mm -hmm. that type of a lifestyle and I think that's one of the most wonderful things that she brings to this company mm -hmm. is she really wants all of her staff and this office. We use like low VOC paint. We make sure that our offices are actually hardwired for internet. We don't, we try to reduce the amount of electromagnetic radiation that we're all sitting here absorbing. Um, so because of Rosemary's lifestyle and how much she really researched it and what a Sherlock Holmes she is for finding a better alternative, mm -hmm. it, it's created a, that in my own lifestyle, which I'm very grateful for. Mm -hmm. Our snacks here are organic and we make sure that we're not um, you know, using any excess like plastics or trash or waste. We have paper towels, but you can see in there there's hand towels in the bathroom. So we carry the philosophy not just to the products, but the way we create this environment here at the office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you think about it, I mean, it goes back to like healthy eating. When you're eating healthy, you feel better. And so when you're working in a clean or green environment, and you're feeling better at work, you're gonna, it's gonna transcend into your outside of work life too. Um, and you're gonna be, you know, for people that are not as educated in it, um, it you know, it's like, oh, I really like that, and it's still healthy, and it makes me feel better, and so I'm gonna take it outside, and I'm gonna teach other people. So you're kind of, you're starting, you're, you're starting a movement to, you know, not only can we be clean out there, but let's be clean in the workspace. Let's start there. We spend more time here than we do at home exactly. during the day, I mean, minus being asleep. So we really want to provide an environment for people that that really um, is conducive to our message with our products, but it's also a really healthy envir environment for people to work in. Mm -hmm. um, and it's saying we care about you. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you're at the manufacturing place. Rosemary yes. calls you. So she has this great idea for the brand, and I was like, yes, absolutely, you're right. Um, and a lot of the calls that I was receiving, I was getting calls from people who are like housewives characters now. I was getting calls from former models who wanted to make a makeup line. But now, what was your job there? What was your role? I was an account executive. So yeah, okay. if you had a product idea, you said, I make this baby butt paste in my kitchen, I want to take it mass, I would say, okay, we need a bottle, we need a formula, okay. we need, there's a process. So I helped hold, um, Rosemary's hand through that process mm -hmm. um, and it is very challenging the packaging side of it um, how do you make the boxes who writes the pack the copy on the boxes mm -hmm. um, the whole thing it's it's so much more difficult than what people really yeah. understand mm -hmm. yeah. and there are a lot of brands out there that do private label where they just put your name on something that's mm -hmm. already like generated and they go out and sell it but Rosemary very much to her personality every single detail from the every single ingredient we researched she showed me I want to use this coconut oil, I want to use this beeswax, I want to use this cocoa butter, but she also told me why. Um, the boxes were made in a facility that uses wind-powered um, electric wow. electricity alternatives. 
Um, I mean, every single detail was so curated and nobody was doing it like that at the time. And also while I was getting these calls from reality characters and former models, it's just the way she talked about the products and the colors and the minerals and what looks good on set and what works. It, it just is so true to the, the thesis of our brand that this is a brand made by a makeup artist. Mm -hmm. And it's not just something, and I'm not you know saying negatively about the other brands that do it this way, but well, I always use the example, I've flown on an airplane, it doesn't mean that I can fly an airplane. Right. So to get a makeup artist to, to create a brand, it's what to me makes the most sense because they really understand how cosmetics work. Mm -hmm. They do it professionally. Yeah. Um, they have to show up to a, a set with a lot of pressure and major photographers and models mm -hmm. and they really have to deliver and the products they bring to set really have to represent their artistry. So when a makeup artist is making a brand and a makeup artist like Rosemary who's so conscientious about health, it's just such a perfect marriage of how RMS was created mm -hmm. and she really was the real deal and I could see that because I had a hundred other clients that were right. come from coming from a different perspective. And they had great brands and things that worked for them, but this just really spoke to me and I just really fell in love with her right away. We clicked, we had such a great rapport together and she kept saying, oh, I'm gonna hire you one day, I'm gonna hire you mm -hmm. one day and I'd laugh and say, oh yeah, that's whatever. I mean, I didn't expect it to, mm -hmm. but yes, lo and behold, that last living luminizer came off the production line and she was like, all right, let's do this. Okay, so that's how it so started. So once she had product, yeah, well, she offered you a job. Yeah, and she needed a place to sell it. And she, need, I said, do you have a website? Do you have, do you have order forms? Do you have, like, what, how, where are they going to go? What stores do you want to sell it in? And she's still a very successful, extremely successful makeup artist who had to be on set mm -hmm. or travel or go mm -hmm. overseas or show up to this fashion she, show. She went from she, service to product, though. It's completely different. What we were talking off the mic, it's a completely different mindset that you exactly. have to, mm -hmm. you have to put on. An, a different hat. Exactly. And she still needed to be on set because that's where she was promoting the mm -hmm. brand too. And at the time, if you went to a magazine and said, hey, Allure, here's Rosemary with this really awesome story about how removing certain ingredients from your cosmetics probably is safer for you in the long run because we don't really have all the data, but these ingredients work so well with your skin in such a different way than just traditional cosmetics that there's really something special here. They're not going to talk about that next to a ad from Maybelline that's paying yeah, their right. their salaries, mm -hmm. and we're hoping that they'll write us up in an, in a in a like an editor's review or, mm -hmm. or that that type of way. So um, it really was a challenge at the beginning to get the brand out there, but because Rosemary was on set and handing and handing the handing the product, the product products to, to models and leading um, that's how we really got the brand out mm. there. So, so the, la the, pr the first product comes off the line. Mm -hmm. She has all this product. She's like, all right. What do we do? What do we do? And so you just, you just like, bye. I'm, I'm gone <laughs> yes. from this manufacturer. Yes. And it wasn't a hard sell to get you over. No, them. and I just believed in the product so much. Mm -hmm. And having worked with so many other brands who were all really lovely and successful in their own ways, this I knew was like the next frontier. Mm -hmm. And hmm. 12 years ago, people were saying, oh, natural beauty will just like be relegated to the shelves of Earth Fair or Whole Foods or, you know, a, a mom and pop like grocery store. But Rosemary saw it differently. We didn't just talk about it as being organic or natural or some, I, I always, we were careful about talking about it being good for you because you don't want to really put into place that there is like a fear mongering or anything. We really just tried to talk about what set us aside by having these really awesome ingredients that weren't at all typically seen in cosmetics that performed. And so it was really, it was easy for us to go out and really pitch and talk about these products because we had something so differently, so different, but people said we would never, you know, you'd never see this in Sephora or you would never see never this. Never say never. Yeah, exactly. And now here we are 12 years later and Sephora has clean beauty sections, you know, galore and there's stores mm -hmm. like here in Charleston, Alea and um, nationally stores like Credo and Detox Market that are solely focused on clean beauty. Mm. Um, so 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when people said it was a fad, Rosemary, we were really adamant, like, no, this is, this is yeah. where, the way it's gonna go. Yeah, it's a fad until it's not, yeah. until it's actually a, a way of life, right? So everything's kind of a fad until 
it really becomes important to people and then it becomes why well, I don't want to go back to the other way exactly and we've spent a long time really creating and, and curating that message too so while a lot of brands really talk about what's not in their products like free of parabens free of tox of, of uh, synthetics free of fragrances we really like to focus on, and we've always had a focus on what's in the products. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sell you what you're not getting. Mm-hmm. We always wanted to sell you what these products are full of and what the benefits are. And I think Rosemary, who talks so beautifully to these ingredients because she sourced each one of them herself, really set the brand apart. Mm-hmm. And we created this almost um, just like a standard for what clean beauty really means to us and, and what we want it to be since mm-hmm. we're very much on the forefront of that that category. I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> so to me, you're speaking, um, and I go back to diet just because I love mm-hmm. talking about diet and what we put in our bodies. Processed food yes, versus whole food. So what does that tote bag say that's next to you? Oh, what does it say? I don't this know. little gift, fun gift that you yeah. gave us. It says, just say no to fast, fast food, food makeup. makeup. Right. So that goes back to the same thing. If mm-hmm. you eat, and, and go for eat whatever you want. Like, I'm right. not a proponent here to say, do this, don't do that. But I know personally, if I were to eat, like, a, 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 a hamburger from McDonald's versus, like, a beautiful green salad from Basic Kitchen, mm-hmm. I know how I'm going to feel... Exactly. Both ways. Mm-hmm. And so why wouldn't you do the same with everything in your lifestyle, your cosmetics, your um, your hair care, your clothing that you're wearing all day? Like, why would you not? It's, it's sort of the same thing we talk a lot about. Why, When you get in your car, why do you wear your seatbelt? Just in case. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if some of these ingredients are going to necessarily be bad for me long term, but I'm not going to risk it or, right. or take mm-hmm. a chance to find out. And diet is very similar. And, and the brand started off of Rosemary cleaning up her diet and finding that there was a huge change in her, the way she felt, mm-hmm. and that that doesn't stop just at your diet. It's also mm-hmm. topical. Um, there was a big, when we first started this, like, again, 12, 13 years ago, there was a lot of controversy to, to the notion of clean anything, especially because a lot of lines for moms and baby care were coming out. Mm-hmm. And bigger companies were saying, oh, well, it doesn't absorb into your skin. And Rosemary, I remember she was in this interview, and she said, well, how do nicotine patches work? Mm-hmm. If it's sitting on your skin, you're absorbing it. So it's the mm-hmm. same thing with your cosmetics, your skincare, everything. Mm-hmm. Again, why risk it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but there's, there's, I mean, you're, you're just not developing. I mean, it's a chemistry. Oh, I yeah. mean, you ha- there has to be testing done. Oh, I yeah. mean, you're just not throwing products out there because you know, beat to make things look pretty pink Correct. or whatever, you know, and I, I don't, I know nothing about your process. So, but I mean, like, and it's great to be a mastermind, but it's hiring that chemical or that, that chemistry team yes. and, and to know the ingredients as well and how to put them together. And, and it's so great that you brought that up. Cause one of the things when people also look at our cosmetic products, there's a big um, article today out about how the markup in cosmetics is so high, but if people really understood what it takes to get this product from concept to out mm-hmm. the door. Um, with raw materials, especially the word raw, all of our ingredients have very low melting points. So we never over-process them. If you're buying coconut oil from a grocery store, it has been over-processed. It's been overheated probably several times because that's how manufacturing has to work. It's all about fast-paced, fast production, mm-hmm. fast output. Yeah. So when we first started manufacturing these products, even through today, Everything is done in small batches. We never overheat or overprocess any of the ingredients. So if you took a really beautiful um, piece of coconut oil and you melted it to like 150 degrees, you're cooking out and you're really mm. obliterating all those great enzymes, vitamins, minerals, nutrients. Hmm. So when we make our products, we do make them in hand, by hand in small batches. Um, and we are really cautious of the melting points and the temperature. And that's why when you're buying a raw material or a, part of a product from us, you're getting something in the purest, most natural state. So that's the difference in cold pressed. A lot of times, so you look at um, juicing and you yes. know, this is something that pe- people, this is like a big craze. There's a juice bar on every corner next to the Starbucks. And the difference in juicing when you do a cold press or a slow press um, opposed to the ones that that are really loud and sound like um, helicopters in your house, they're actually heating up the vegetables or the fruits 
where they're they're knocking out some of that nutrition. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, I didn't even think about that coconut oil that we get from Costco and how many times it's been processed over and over again. A hundred percent. And down to where we buy our coconut oil, mm-hmm. like it's even down to are, are the coconuts like are they collected in metal bowls or bins? How are they stored? Like the metal gets absorbed into anything. Those are very porous you know, ingredients. So everything, you have to really dial it back so far and be so super investigative. And fortunately, Rosemary is. That's one of the things Mm. that she's almost like a mad scientist, like wanting to know every single detail. And it it really benefits the customers. And we've had a lot of brands that have have, um, come alongside us and they've tried to do something similar. But unless you really take the care and go to the strengths of detail like Rosemary, I mean, this the quality is different, and mm-hmm. I feel it, and I know it because our consumers keep coming back and back and back. And we really didn't market the brand or lean into it very strongly until a couple of years ago, but people kept coming back and buying our products because the quality just marketed it itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, keep, you said this was founded 12 or 13 years ago, so when I do the math on that, it's right before the um, recession. Yeah, so we, I met Rosemary about 13 years ago, but technically we launched, it's going to be 11 years this July. Okay, so So you're right in nine. Right in the, right Right in the thick of it. Yeah. How was that? Um, we were so brand new. We had nothing to fail, right? So we hadn't had like big years of business and then it get pulled back. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking with somebody today about how the coronavirus, is it going to create a recession? Like how will that affect your business? Um, well, biz- beauty really truly is recession proof and it's been tested time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where beauty brands, um, face challenges are the fact that there's an influx of brands. There's so much more competition. It's, easier now than ever to go on Alibaba and find a lip gloss and mm-hmm. suck your name on it. I mean, anybody right. can get into the game. Um, Instagram has made it so easy. There's It's free marketing. I mean, it's really yeah. easy to get into the beauty space. Um, but to do it well and to be sustainable and to last as long as we have is a testament to Rosemary and the products for sure. And, and I would say while, while I think um, why I think that's correct is because if somebody's using your product and is used to using your product, they know how it feels, and if a recession hits, they're not going back to somebody like Maybelline, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're gonna build that into their budget of this is a priority to me, and while I may be able to cut other things, I I can't go back to my old way of doing makeup. One of the worst things about our brand, and Rosemary and I like sort of try to fix this all the time, is our products are very generous. So our concealer or our lip to cheek, which you can put on your as a blush or on as a lipstick, they're very concentrated. A little goes a long way. Like mm-hmm. our makeup is physically recession proof because mm-hmm. if you're going through that much lip to cheek, that's a thirty six dollar item in in six months. Like that, you're you're using you're it, it way too you're much. You're using it wrong. We have such generous fills in our products, and it's such a, a it's a it's such a concentrated product that you really get a lot out of it. So at the end of the day, it's a great investment. Like yeah. our Living Luminizer, which is our cult hero product, it's what we really founded the brand on, was Rosemary's signature, was really healthy, glowing, dewy, fresh skin. Um, I mean, I've had mine for two years, and I've just now seen the bottom of the jar. So, And I use it every day. Um, so it's also really generous products. Mm-hmm. Like our consumers, they're in, they're in good shape. I'm yeah. not worried yeah. about it. So let's talk about your consumers. So yes. you've mentioned when you gave us a tour of this incredible new space. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about your really loyal customer base. How did you build that and how do you maintain that? So we really were the first to do clean beauty 10 years ago. We've been around the longest. Um, So we have this built-in original. There was a lot of people who were looking for what we had and Mm -hmm. and really wanted something like Rosemary's, um, what, what, what her brain was conceiving. Um, and the products are just so great. Like the con- the uncover up is a top fifteen concealer on Sephora hmm. with Sephora.com, and and it's in stores in Sephora right now. Um, and we did nothing to market it. We've never we didn't really do any performance marketing up until about two years ago. We never were really making a lot of videos, releasing a lot of content. I mean, it was just so great, and people who love it, they love it. Um, tons of celebrities really leaned into the brand and talked about it, and. Um, anytime you open a magazine, if it's Us Magazine or all the way to something as high fashion as Vogue, RMS is 
a lot of times constantly in these pages we have this embarrassment of riches with such great press mm. and a lot of it's come from from these models and these editors and it being a cult favorite product and consumers are really smart and they they notice that and they've seen the consistency and and there's 10 years of consistency mm -hmm. it's been around for a while um but with Rosemary's message and her being this really great mouthpiece for healthier lifestyle and wellness, um, more and more our consumers now are also finding they want to align their purchasing power with their belief system. And being that we are so outspoken about environmental issues, we use a lot of glass where we can, um, we use a lot of plastic that's recyclable where we can, and we use ingredients that are um, more sustainable. When we use beeswax, we make sure that it's healthy and friendly to the bees. Um, and Rosemary talks about it so much that consumers have listened and they mm. talk, and it's, it's a great option. And at the time, a couple years ago, when there was three or four really good clean beauty brands, now there's so many more. Mm. Um, we have owned this white space, and we have mm -hmm. had it pretty well. And it's it's we own it, we love it, and we've really taken control taken control there. You are the experts. Rosemary, again, it's the only clean beauty brand mm -hmm. created by an actual makeup yeah. artist. Hmm. So mm -hmm. there's there's nobody else in that space. Hmm. And so we've we've dominated it for a really long time. Love that. Do you know Blair Mathis? Um, I she, she introduced us to your products. Yeah. Um, and so, because she's a makeup artist as well. And uh, so she uh, was has been on our podcast. And so this is how... We kind of started knowing about the the line and got really excited about it. And makeup artists just go crazy for the brand. Mm -hmm. um, we were at a Credo Clean Beauty Summit, and Katie Denno was there, and she was um, really talking about how much product she receives. Because we were talking about how you, she was talking to other brand founders how to get your products into the hands of influencers or makeup artists, celebrities, whatever. And she was one of the first early adopters to the brand, and to really talk about it from mm -hmm. a makeup artist standpoint on her social pages and makeup artists they harness a great power because if it's good enough for them to use on set with a celebrity it's got to be great yeah mm -hmm. uh so a lot is going really awesome for rms right you have an incredibly loyal brand you're growing um kind of year over year significantly yep. you get all kinds of incredible press what's hard um, it's definitely a crowded field right now. Um, I think content is king and consumers just, they consume it really quickly. They're not mm -hmm. digesting it. Um, so you have to, you're faced with a challenge and you have to constantly create more and more and more content to satiate these customers. Um, and it's great because they want to learn more and you want to talk about your brand. But we have so many products and so many things to talk about. We could be creating content 24 hours a day and sometimes it feels like it's never enough. Um, but one of our challenges is to really keep talking about what's so wonderful that's in these products and to, to really point out that our standard is so high. And we want you to know that, yes, you are paying $36 for this, you know, incredibly popular and super successful concealer, but $36 can still be a lot to consumers. Yeah. But you're getting such, such great value out of it and you're getting something so good for your skin. Um, so we're always reminding ourselves that we need to first put on in the forefront the education factor because we really want when consumers spend their dollars, their hard-earned dollars, mm -hmm. to go home and really be married to and love the products that they're using every day and, and see what's great in them as, as what we see. Um, but the other biggest challenge is going to be sustainability. So a couple years ago it was talking about inclusivity, a couple years before that it was talking about like parabens and certain mm -hmm. ingredients, but right now it's sustainability and us as a brand we have to maintain a, a really large message and, and a, be a big mouthpiece for that um, because we do use a lot of sustainable products but the beauty industry were some of the worst offenders as well for mm. just junk and landfills too. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of companies out there that are making refillable packaging but they're tiny little like lipstick inserts still. Mm -hmm. You're talking about an inch or two of plastic. So how can we do it better? Um, and it's hard for cosmetics because um, post-consumer and recycled plastic is really only available in very squishy, soft, um, uh, pliable materials. Whereas compacts are hard and mm -hmm. our, our products are, are in you know, these very solid components and can't use a lot of post-consumer and recycled plastic mm -hmm. in that type of um, application mm -hmm. yet. So it's finding ways to make refills really smart and have the impact there. Hmm. Um, so we're right now knee deep in the biggest project of our lives where we're making a very big sustainable play hmm. and we're doing it in a way that I think 
feels right because it's a, it's a sustainable physical amount of difference um, to a carbon footprint. And we're taking a category that is um, very successful and um, comfortable for our consumers, which is complexion, and we're really trying to do it better. Um, Rosemary really loves um, challenging herself and we challenge the team all the time. And it's a huge challenge that mm -hmm. we're undertaking right now, but come this fall, you'll see what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But um, we've been working on it for over a year now and we're really excited to, mm -hmm. to take that to the marketplace. And it couldn't be at a better time when sustainable is at, at, the, at the top of everybody's list for what they're gonna expect out of their, their brands and, and what they consume next. Let's let's talk about you specifically um, <clears throat> with with RMS. Mm -hmm. You own it like it's yours. Rosemary is hundred percent the owner of the brand. Yeah, um, she has received a lot of great offers to to have people invest in the brand. I mean, we sort of I've taken every single call. We've gotten every single banker. We've heard from every single mm -hmm. um, major from private equity to strategics. Um, but right now, the focus really is on the products, mm -hmm. and we are successful, we're profitable, which is great. Um, we're really thoughtful with how we spend every single dime, and right now, until we need to change that stride, we're just going to keep going the way that we do. Um, we do have a lot of fears that investors are going to come in and say, why do you buy that expensive of coconut oil? Why are yeah, you... They will water it down. They'll they will. water it down. Why are you spending so much money to create this... Um, sustainable project product here, Elaine, when you could be using this glass component. And most of those investors are men, and they, they don't wear it. They and, don't. And, and, they're, and so I think that there's the difference. I think if there was a woman, a female investor coming in, they might have a different outlook on that. Unfortunately, I wish that was the case, but I think a lot of female investors, they still report to boards that are a lot of old white men in suits. Well, I'm, yeah. And so they have to, they want to keep their roles mm -hmm. as well. Um, and, and to be honest with you, it's, you, we do experience a lot of, um, strategics and private equity firms where you meet these really wonderful men and they have a great story and a great history and you, mm -hmm. and you, and you think that it is almost someone you can align with, but then they hold up one of your lipstick tubes and say, I'm going to take this home to my wife to test out. And it's like, oh God, mm. it's just, it feels so crummy. It's yeah. just not, it's not authentic. So we're going to keep going at the, the rate that we are and the scale that we are. Look, if we wanted to be triple the size that we are in dollars, there's a million easy ways to do it. You mm -hmm. could start cross-border selling in China. We could make, there's a million products that are very consumable and, and easy to sell, and they're like one-offs and you can bang things out. But it's just not a successful way to do it. Mm -hmm. Our philosophy has always been to really grow strong, not big. And I think that shows in the products and in the staff that we recruit and the placement that we have our brand. Um, we're very curated where we sell. Um, it seems like we're in a lot of doors. We're in probably over 600 at this stage, um, but we've said no to a lot of places too. Mm -hmm. um, we really, we really don't want an investor to also come in and say, "Oh, well, time to get into Target," mm -hmm. or "Why aren't you on QVC?" Hey, Ulta's right down the street. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not strategically what we want to do. Mm -hmm. So we're just, we know that doing it this way is as authentic to the brand as the products are mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. I love it. You're purists in, mm -hmm. in so many ways, and you know what your mission is. You're not wavering from that. One of the things that you said when we were walking around doing the tour is we don't offer sales except for once a year. Mm -hmm. We stay true to our price point. And what I, what I love about that so much is that when you start offering sales all the time on your product, you become like a used car lot, mm -hmm. right? Where people are like, Absolutely. maybe I can get it next week for 50 cents less or Absolutely. whatever. And then that kind of dumbs down your brand. But you guys are, again, purist in that we're going to keep our brand at the price point that we offered it because we put it there for a reason. But we're going to give you a treat as consumers. One time a year, we'll do 20% off. The beauty industry is constantly cannibalizing itself. Mm -hmm. The amount of discounts and coupons and BOGOs. I mean, I saw one of our competitor do a BOGO around the holidays, and it was just, it just feels so icky. And it's forcing everybody to constantly compete with these like friends and family discounts all the time. And it, it we're a proven success. Like we do it one time a year. We do it. We created this really cool um, concept called Green Friday. Um, when everybody would call and say, because I used to answer all the telephone lines. I, there was mm -hmm. like three employees. I was the customer well, service line. Well, this started line. in your house. It started in my house. Right. But people <laughs> would say, what are you doing for Black Friday or Cyber Monday? 
And we'd say, we don't do discounts. And then finally, as we got larger, it was like, okay, we need to come up with something to 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 compete in this space because our consumers are asking for mm -hmm. it. You do have to balance what's good for the brand and, and take what your consumers are asking for. So I said to Rosemary, well, I don't really want to come to work the day after Thanksgiving. So mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to do Black Friday. So let's do something a week before and let's call it Green Friday. And that was the first time we put the products mm -hmm. for sale. It was a 20% discount and it was great then by the time Thanksgiving came around, we could go and be with our families, mm -hmm. and we didn't have to be in that like rat race. Oh, I love that. And every year, we've just built it up better and better and better. Um, last year, we gave a really... At, at the last two years, we've given a product away as well with it. Mm -hmm. um, we offer like different shipping options. I mean, we really try to make it exciting for our customers, but it's one time a year. Um, again, the competitors that we're in the same landscape with, the amount of discounting that they do... I almost, it doesn't affect us as much because our consumers are used to when we mm -hmm. do ours, but I wish brands in general, from small ones to big ones, would just remove that narrative and stop trying to earn everybody's dollar by giving stuff away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the time. I, th I want to go back to Jules's point um, about that, yeah, Rosemary is 100% owner, but how fortunate she is to have someone like you who also owns it. Um, and you may not be a percentage you owner, run but it you, like you own it. Yeah. You run it like this is your baby, and and she, so she is trusting you, and you literally. I mean, I, I would have thought that you were the mom mom of this, and 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 you don't. A lot of people can't trust other people to run their company like they would. You got it, and and I think that Rosemary should be very. And I'm sure she's super proud. <laughs> we talk about it all the time. We're a perfect marriage. I mean, the other thing is, I want nothing to do with creative, right? I mean, I can look at a photo shoot she's done for the brand or um, content she's created, and I can give her my two cents, but. I will never be able to visually mm -hmm. come up with the concepts the way she does. And her ability to do makeup, it's just, I mean, we laugh sometimes. I forget that she's a makeup artist because I work mm -hmm. with her in this brand. But she's so talented. And so we've we've split it up. I run the business side mm -hmm. and she's the creative force. And it is, it's a force. And so she doesn't really you know, second guess what I'm doing. And I would never second guess her creative side because she's just, it's, such an yeah. amazing talent and that's why we're such a perfect pair and if I were on set watching her do something I would have no idea how to mm -hmm. be um, in any way a help or to contribute and um, if she was here understanding how to analyze like an RTV report or to you know look at a P&L um, from a certain vendor who were trying to figure out like why freelance would support that you know P&L or not like she would just she, it's just not what she mm -hmm. it's not where her um her interest lies. So that's why we've had such, I think, a great success is mm -hmm. she focuses on what she does best and mm -hmm. stay in our lanes. Yeah. And, and, and for us, that's why we have so much to talk about at the end of the day because I can tell her, and we talk all throughout the day. I've talked to her probably 17 times today and it's, you know, four o'clock. But we've, we just, we can say, this is what I accomplished and she can say, this is what I've accomplished and then it's, all right, let's move on. Mm -hmm. We don't have to ask each other all the time about things or get permission or say, what do you think of this? I love it. Another thing that I think is really cool that you said, talking about Rosemary as we were doing the tour, is that she responds to almost 100% of the Instagram um, replies and direct messages and stuff like that. That to me is so cool because that is the founder of the company who she could easily outsource that, right? And but. It's, again, purist, where she wants to be on the base level with her customers hearing what they're saying. So she just recently this year won a CEW. Um, if you're not familiar, it's the Cosmetic Executive Women. It's like the, the pinnacle of, in the beauty industry as far as like trade um, groups. And she won an award for being a trailblazer. Mm. Um, and that's, of course, because of the clean beauty movement. But I think she's a trailblazer in the way she listens to her consumers and we get so much great information from it. It's true data. Um, our consumer is saying, we want this in a larger size, or why don't you make a lipstick that's more sheer, or I love this beauty oil, but I'm spending too much money because I keep putting it on my body. Well, we, we just launched a body oil on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Like We get such great data from our consumers. But Rosemary doesn't just make it because a couple of people want it. She feels those trends. She hears this over, um, overarching like consistency from consumers. 
and we really put it into the product development focus and that's why I think our consumers love us is because we're giving them exactly mm. what they're asking for but with Rosemary's spin and her flair and her like creativity to it. Mm. So cool. What part of your job do you love the most? What just fires you up when you're in the middle of I it? I love the growth. Um, like when I was walking you through the office today and showing you like this is where we started and this is where we are now. Mm -hmm. I love seeing the growth. It's a tangible it's a tangible um, example. It's something I can see every single day. Um, the more we add staff, like I can see we're growing. As Sephora's put us in the front of store, like, you know, I know we're growing because this, this product is now so successful that it's being featured in this way. So I love the growth and watching that you can physically see the success. Mm. So you started out doing everything out of your home. Right, and then you move. Just give us a really quick, and then we need to wrap this up. Yeah. But give us a really quick, like progression of locations. So at first, it was just me in my house, and I would answer the phone for customer service. I would run credit cards like an accountant. I would ship boxes and take them to you know UPS. I did it all. We got an intern who turned into a full-time staff. From there, there was two or three more staff. Um, we had still a, out of your home still out of my home and then we moved it to this really awesome location on Sam Rittenberg Which was an office complex. It was in no way shape or form where people should have had like pallets or you know um, <laughs> Dollies coming in and out with boxes and we outgrew that in about um, a year and a half two years We moved to a bigger space in West Ashley took one suite thought up oh, this will be it and quickly took two more suites within that complex and that was about 6,500 square feet and five years we were like dying to get. We were shoulder to shoulder too close, like bumping into people, working on top of one another. And then the space became available that we're at now a block away. And it's nearly 20,000 square feet. And we definitely have room to grow here. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it's exciting. We can hire more people because we have space for them. We can bring on more packers, more marketers, more customer service, everything, because we have a place and a home for them. Yeah. How many people work here? In this office, physically 30. We mm -hmm. um, do have a couple people remote and um, a couple people internationally as well because we have a really big presence in Japan. We've got mm -hmm. um, a team of about six people in Japan and um, some distributors throughout like Norway and Germany. Wow. Gosh, that's amazing. What's the, like, like long-term vision? I mean, mm -hmm. that you want to, like what's one thing that you guys, you and Rosemary want RMS Beauty to be or be known for kind of longer term vision? I want to maintain the consistency that we have with our consumers. I want them to keep loving the products and keep coming back and talking about it. Um, I don't want to just be like a trend. Like I know for myself, I used to wear Mac and then I went to Bobby Brown mm -hmm. and then I went to Benefit. Like I want our consumers to like grow, grow with us and, mm -hmm. and grow along with us. I think that would be really ideal. And that would show like a, just a great success that we're always a staple to to, to mm. that girl that wears us. Mm. No matter how big you get, you no want to stay get. true to your customers. A Absolutely, and I want to. I do think the future for RMS is also really setting a really high bar when it comes to the ingredients and eventually hear the sustainability story that we're going to start yeah. telling. I think it's so critical and. Rosemary, we donate a lot to environmental charities and we talk to environmental working group. I have a PhD uh, from an environmental group coming here next week to talk about how we can use more um, sustainability in our products and our packaging and easy ways to do it that maybe I'm not thinking of. I mean, we constantly want to keep striving to set this bar where we're the go-to brand for clean products, but also really or environmentally conscious mm -hmm. ones as well. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you We can guys. always do yeah. better, yeah. right? I Everyone can always can. do better. We all can. So we're going to tag all of your links in our show notes, but I would just recommend you go follow RMS Beauty. Is that your Instagram? Yep, rmsbeauty.com. I personally don't do Instagram because I just love watching what, like the RMS ones. Yeah. So like, just follow that. and. Yep. Yeah, just keep an eye on um, the All website. We always have, have coming out with super cool exclusives on our own website. And um, yeah, just look out if you're in Charleston. We're at Alea Beauty. We're in Blue Mercury on King Street. And starting March 12th, we're going to be in the front of every Sephora. Oh, so exciting. Awesome. I love it, Elaine. Okay, let's wrap this up. We have a list of 70 questions. Um, just give Stace one number between 1 and 70, and she'll ask you the question associated with it. 47. 47. Do you have significance to that number? Well, it's a prime number, 
So that's mm -hmm. I knew I knew there was going to be an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love prime numbers, um, but it's in everything. It's on my license plate. It's in my credit card. It's in my driver's license hmm. number. It's on my passport. It's like it haunts me. It follows me everywhere. The 800 number for RMS, which is like 1-800-877-RMS-1147 or whatever it is. It's like has and a you didn't ask for that. It no, just... I did. Oh, you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, we use 47 in everything. Okay. Um, I want to ask you how old you are, but I'm sure your birthday, 47th birthday, is going to be a big one. That'll be a big one. My son was almost born 47. He was born 46. That's the one mm. place I missed it. Well, I would have pushed it up. Um, so do you have a celebrity crush? If so, who is it? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. My celebrity crush is Giselle Boonchin. She was um, an early adopter of our brand. She's a really good friend of Rosemary's, and I think she's just... Um, been a really awesome advocate for RMS Beauty, so I always just have like a great crush on her. Mm. So Giselle, for sure. Good answer. Anything we missed? Anything that you, if you will be remiss um, that you didn't talk about when we turned the mic off? Um, gosh, that's a harder question yeah. than anything you've asked me so far. Um, no, I just think it's great that there are so many really awesome brands in Charleston that people aren't aware of. I mean, we've mm. sort of flown under the radar for a really long time. Um, so I love that you're here um, yeah. learning about the brand and the staff. You've got to meet everybody mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, so no questions, but just a big thank you for um, coming into our home here and giving us this opportunity mm -hmm. to talk about what an awesome brand we have here in Charleston. And I love that you multitask too. It's sort of like Rosemary and I. She's a makeup artist and a brand owner, and she's mm -hmm. an advocate for all things clean beauty. And it seems like you're the same. You wear a lot of hats, and we just really love and admire that. So well, it's awesome. You. Kudos to you both. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, listeners, thank you for hitting play. If you wear makeup, go check out RMS Beauty. I think they're doing something obviously really innovative and changing in the market, and their customers are clearly very loyal. So we would be huge proponents of this. We're going to definitely check it out ourselves yeah. for sure but the fact that you're in Charleston is really cool I mean that's a uh, that's definitely a drawing card um, for a lot of people so thank you for hitting play we hope you go make it an awesome day